1: Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It is a free call, one 855 450 noaa It's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Joining me, my co-host, Mr. Steve Ovens. Welcome in, sir.
2: Good evening, and we're looking to forward to getting rid of some of the snow.
1: Well, we're about to get more snow. We're in a winter weather advisory, and I think it's about to get worse.
2: Well, we are too, but you know, we we get snow like it snows a bit. I think we got you know four or five inches last week. Then we get a couple of days of melt. So I'm looking forward to it. Slowly going down. I only fell in through up to my shins today, so I'm doing all right.
1: Well. I am excited to be back. I had a great time in California, the Southern California Linux Expo, but happy to be back and uh, doing the show and answering people's feedback. Our first email comes in from Corey. Corey writes in and says, hey, no one, Steve, on last week's episode, you started to read my question, then you realized that you didn't answer all of my previous question, but you never actually got to my question. Any ideas on my previous email would be much appreciated. Thanks to both of you for all of you do for all that you do. And so going back to his email. He said, we want to be able to better control the internet and where it will let our kids go. As always, we look towards open source first. We don't want to pay for some proprietary software that you don't really know what it's stealing data-wise. Are there any open source parental control software that will block these scam sites from even loading? I thought about firewall rules, but I've not ever really configured a firewall, and I feel like it would slip through. We don't really want to hinder its ability to be independent on the internet. We just want to cut off the off-ramps to sites that are not repeatable. Thanks. So, Steve, what are your thoughts for keeping kids safe on the internet?
2: Well, that this is kind of difficult because this this is regardless of who you're trying to filter the internet for the there's always going to be something that gets through so i know that one of the primary ways that that this is accomplished is through using something like open dns where it's got a bunch of filters and just doesn't allow these things to get through it's not it's not self-hosted and i believe you have to pay for some of that but from my understanding that is one of the most effective ways Part of the problem with this—it's uh, not an even approach. It's not a problem with the approach, but there are so many of these things that pop up that um, people that are going to fall victim to these sorts of things are going to find them. Mm. That's just how it's going to be. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like trying to block pornography. You can take a good stab at it, but uh, if you're—if the person is motivated or even not like. I came across some very interesting things searching for Bart Simpson on like a Google image search. And I just will say like, you never know where weird things are going to pop up on the internet.
1: A hundred percent. So I kind of share your approach there. I take with my kids, I have, we have a couple of basic rules. Part, part of it is they don't have any sort of expectation of privacy. And so I reserve the right to walk into their room and take a look at their computers or mobile devices anytime I want and have done so. Uh, thank God I've never found anything. Um, I also I do tend to go the DNS route. So when I'm looking at trying to lock things down, either in a school setting or in a professional setting, something like that, typically we will use something like open DNS and that will get you a good long way. Now, there are some potential hang ups and some problems. One is if the if the users are technically savvy encrypted DNS is a thing right and so there are it, it you can there are way it's not a foolproof thing there are absolutely ways around that but that circles me back to we never trade in our parenting card these are simply tools to try to get us to the end goal the end goal isn't to have a perfectly filtered internet the the end goal is to have kids that grow up that are responsible with technology and leverage it to their full potential without any sort of abuse um, and so I try to I try to approach it from the standpoint that if I treat the kids and have confidence in the kids that they are held to a specific standard and are given a privilege, if they're able to act responsibly, a lot of times what I'll find is they'll rise to that expectation. Um, not a foolproof method doesn't work for every kid. I get that. Um, but that would be kind of the direction I'd go as far as firewall rules. I, I have to say, I don't know that that's going to be effective at all. Um, I've tried a few different times to block, like, so, for example, get businesses, say we want to block YouTube and Facebook. The reality is, especially with the world of CDNs and service domains, you know, you can block Facebook.com, you can block YouTube.com. It's really not going to stop anything. They Google it or they duck, duck, go it, and they click on a link, and it's going to take them to, you know, YT.com or something like that or FBK.com, and and just they've got – a bunch of different domains and they have a bunch of different IP addresses, and so trying to deal with that with firewall rules is just it's an exercise in frustration more so than a real solution. Our second email comes in from Dominic. Dominic writes in and says, Hi No and Steve, this is Dominic writing you from Germany. Thanks for your time to produce this wonderful podcast. It's one of my absolute favorites. I wish to call, but it's definitely too early for me here in Germany. Do you by chance have a suggestion for a self-hosted FOSS website wish list? When our daughter was born, we set up a wish list for her using a WordPress plugin. The plugin is unfortunately no longer maintained and has stopped working with the recent version of WordPress. Now I'm looking for alternatives that allows my wife and later the kids, 3 plus 1-year-old, to maintain an online wish list and avoid duplicate gifts. Friends and relatives should be able to mark items they want to give as a gift. I'm looking for something like an Amazon wish list but was self-hosted due to the privacy considerations. All I found so far is no longer maintained it would be great to hear from you or the community about false projects dealing with online wishlists. So Steve, have you put any thought into online wishlists and how would you solve Dominic's problem?
2: So I did some poking around. Um, I also found some kind of abandoned projects. This, one of the things that, that you could do. So there's, there's a few things that you could do. Uh, If it's just a few people, you could do something like set up a task list in Nextcloud and have it sync around. The other thing that I was looking at, if you're not looking for people to have specific tooling, like as in an application on their phone or whatever that does it, one of the things that I was considering when I was looking at this was, there's a plugin for Nextcloud called Deck. And it's technically meant to help you manage like projects or like to-do lists in a technical setting. So it's a, it's like a Kanban board. Um, and for people that don't know that essentially what it is, is you create what they call cards and they live in different columns and you can name the columns, whatever you want, generally speaking. Um, but in a technical sense, you would have like not started, started, blocked or unfinished. And you just kind of drag the card along and you can you can make this publicly accessible on NextCloud. I haven't tried it myself. I just looked into the plugin. And you change the titles to like, this is what's being, this is what's wished for. Then you'd have something like reserved and then finally bought. So that someone could pull out the gift into the reserved slot, make some comment on like, I'm intending to buy this. And then if they don't get around to it, they could just drag it back to the to. The wish list again or if mm. they have finished it, buying it then you put it into the bot category mm-hmm. it's not exactly the kind of checklist thing that uh, i think dominic was looking for but i wasn't able to find a, a better answer in kind of like a short browsing of the internet absolutely so i think
1: there's a number of things it, a number of ways you could go with this i feel like the next cloud Thing is definitely a, a good way to go. It also the other advantage of Nextcloud is it's going to give you a little bit more, um, how do we say, flexibility in the way of you can do more things with it than just a wish list. You might check out a project called Christmas Community. It's available on GitHub, and the idea is I don't know if they still have like a description here, but it's a web app for Christmas shopping, basically. And, um, so obviously it's probably not just Christmas. You're wanting to do other things as well, but this could be a nice, easy, self-hosted way for you to host a wish Um, even if it is called Christmas, um, and you could use it for other things as well. There's no law saying you can't use it that way. But, um, so any of those things would work. You also might just consider having like a, like a little Hugo site that has, um, you know, they have like recipe templates and stuff that have you can mark off, like put little check marks along when you uh, when in that case when you're cooking the recipe. But it could be used in the way of a shopping list, too. That might be a thought. Um, but, yeah, I would check out my 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 leading thoughts. I agree with Steve. Definitely. I would check out NextCloud and I might check out Christmas Community as a self-hosted solution as well. Again, 855-450. No, it's 855 The email live at AskNoahShow.com. Kevin writes in and says, Hi, Noah and Steve. I want to back up my Pop! OS data to two external drives that I will rotate on a schedule and take off site. I also want to encrypt those drives so that nobody can just grab it and plug it in and then read the data. How might I do this in Pop! OS? P.S. I heard you might be at Linux Fest Northwest. So you heard right on Linux Fest Northwest. Um, As far as backing up data, Steve, your thoughts on backing up Pop! OS? Is it different than any other Linux distro?
2: I mean they might have some specific tools like I know that um Linux Mint has a backup tool as that's specific to them not that you couldn't use it anywhere else but they kind of developed it for me I would probably end up using Lux on my external drives so that I wouldn't it wouldn't matter which Linux system I plugged it into I'd still be Mm. able to decrypt the drives um there's TrueCrypt and VeraCrypt and, and those sorts of things. If you're interested in making sure that the the drive encryption works across uh, the different types of operating systems like Windows and so on, mm-hmm. um, in terms of backing it up, honestly, uh, if all you're doing is kind of backing up your home directory, I'll, I probably would just do an rsync. I can't imagine that you're mm. doing you know terabytes and terabytes of of data off of your home directory. What would you do?
1: So I, I'm of two minds. So if you want to make sure you catch everything and you don't want to forget about, oh, I had this program installed and, oh, it saved pro-, you know information in the program directory and it didn't export and I forgot to whatever bookmarks, it, whatever it is. If you want to be absolutely sure, you take Clonezilla and you make an image of your whole drive. And then that way you can spit back the exact computer as you have it right now today to any place else. The downside to CloneZilla is you can't do a Delta. Delta meaning you can't do the difference between the last time you backed up and now. So you're making a full system backup every time. But if you want to be absolutely sure that you do not miss a darn thing, that's the way to go. Personally, what I do is inside of my home directory, I don't use the home directory. I have my home directory. And then inside of that, I create a directory that I use for all of my data. And so I ignore the documents, pictures, folders, downloads, all the rest of that. And as programs save to those directories, I then move them where I want them. In large part because I don't, to me, it doesn't make any sense to have like all of my pictures in one directory, right? It depends. Pictures for what? Family pictures, home pictures, product pictures for Alta Speed, uh, promo pictures or travel pictures for when I'm doing Ask. What kind of picture are we talking about? So I like to divide all of those up and have subdirectories for all of that. And so as a part of that, I put everything in one directory. And then the advantage for me is when I want my computer, the only thing I care about on any computer I've ever used is that one directory with all of my data in it. And I'm and I'm very conscious about any time I save something, I make sure it goes in there. And I'm very conscious about if I'm, you know, every few weeks I'm making a backup of my Firefox bookmarks and dumping it into that data directory. And then I have an rsync script that just copies from my laptop off Onto an external drive, then that external drive then goes to a second external drive, and the idea there is to have my data in three places. So the, the the first little portable drive comes with me; it sits in my backpack and it hangs out with me all the time, and it has absolutely 100% happened. I've been at a conference or a training event or something like that, and my laptop dies, or I've lost it, or it gets stolen, or something like that, and I've absolutely 100% gone to Best Buy, purchased a new laptop. Grab my Linux install uh, disk, which I also carry with me, a little flash drive, and install Linux, plug my little drive in, and then I have a restore script that just moves all of that data back and installs all the software I need. It's an Ansible playbook. So that's the way that I go about backing up my machine. You could certainly do the same. Um, But again, if you're looking to be 100% sure, then I would say make an image of the whole machine. Micah writes in and says, Hey, no one, Steve. I'm sorry for the delay in responding. I listened to the episode the day it comes out, but I've been very busy. My company is booming, which is great, but leaves little time for system upgrades. Here's where I'm at and keep you and your listeners updated as I believe my journey in this could help other creatives running Linux. I had never thought of the idea to host two servers like you mentioned one for Nextcloud and one for file storage. I think it's a fantastic idea and it makes total sense. One question on this, would I be able to route those files from the storage server into NextCloud so they felt native inside of NextCloud and they could be accessed through the standard user profile, edit documents, etc.? If so, I may keep our Synology NAS for the time being, get a box to host NextCloud server and possibly integrate it in the next couple of weeks after testing. To your point, Steve, it is a lot to maintain, especially since I'm not a server guy. I like GUIs and rolling it out. This makes things far simpler also never decided to forego only off a server as Collabra looks to be a one-click deployment option. eBay hardware is the route I'll go. Thanks. I'll be taking that too. I appreciate all the advice and the help. i looking forward to getting this deployed and sharing the results. Thanks so much. God bless. Micah. So, Steve, I'm going to rephrase Micah's question a little bit. Is it possible to take a file server and mount that share locally on an xCloud server so that all of the data is quote-unquote local, even though it's technically being stored on the file server?
2: Hundred percent. That's the way that I run things. I treat my VMs as disposable, so I treat them like they're containers. They don't hold any of their own configuration or data, uh, but I still use the VMs for you know reasons I won't go get into because they're not relevant to to his question. But yeah, um, I'm I have a NAS on my storage which gets backed up and has redundancy and all the rest of that, and it shares out its files over a ten gig link to Nextcloud and several other things that I'm hosting on my network.
1: So a couple things there that I would add. Um, I like Steve, I have the, the data all sits on the file server and everything else just points back to the file server. So just setting up an NFS share means that you'll be able to do that. A couple of considerations. You'll absolutely want to have, Particularly, I I think with you, I remember you're doing video editing. We'd still love to have you on the show and talk about that, too. I know we've been talking about that for, at this point, years. But I would love to have you on the show and talk about what you're doing with video editing. But if you're doing that, you're definitely going to want a fast interconnect between your file server and your next cloud server. That might look like something like a fiber node. It might look like something like TwinX. It might look like something like you can do it over Ethernet with with Copper. But since they're going to likely be sitting next to each other, you'll want to think that through all the way. If you're not doing anything super intensive, like it's really is just documents and a couple images and stuff like that, then you're probably okay to You could run it over one gig and it wouldn't be much of an issue. But you'll create an NFS share on your file server, you'll export that NF share out, and then on your next cloud server, you'll mount it. And what I do is I'll typically go through the install process for whatever it is I'm installing, then I'll go and mount my NFS. Uh, stuff wherever I want to mount my NFS share and then I will move all of the data that was in the original folder into the NFS folder and the reason I've done that is I've had issues with permissions getting changed when it tries to install directly to the NFS share and maybe somebody will write in and tell me well you're doing it wrong and here's why but I've had the best luck doing it that way so that's what I would suggest also um, tiny in the chat room you can join a gig says AdGuard Home is a great way when the kids are at home, but there's nothing that respects users' privacy that covers mobile devices and PCs. We use Quest Studio for our kids along with AdGuard Home. So you might check that out. We'll have links for you in the show notes, Com.
3: From the Linux
4: Newswire newsroom, this is the Week in Review with JT. For the week of March 19th, 2023, here's the Linux and open source news. Tails 5.11 is out with new features. Triscal 11 is out and is based on Ubuntu 22.04 LTS and strips out anything that's not 100% free, open source, or FSF approved. It is a long-term support release and will get updates and security fixes for two years. Arch Linux-based System Rescue 10 has been released with a Linux kernel 6.1 LTS. PyTorch 2.0 has been released with a bunch of updates. And Firefox 111 is out. The Unix pioneer Ken Thompson has announced that he's switching from Macs to Linux, specifically Raspbian. GitHub has published its own internal guide and tools on how to go about setting up an open-source program office. DreamWorks has finally open-sourced its Moonray Renderer, and it is available to filmmakers. Google has introduced its new Open Health stack collection of open-source parts to hasten the creation of digital health solutions. Google says that standards, security, and cutting-edge analytics are its main priorities. In a very unpopular move, Due to a change in how Docker manages Teams, Docker has said that they will begin deleting open-source organizations if they do not start paying. The creators of the all-open-source MNT Reform laptop are now getting nearer to launching its handheld counterpart, the MNT Pocket Reform. System76 has relaunched its Meerkat Linux PC, and it's more powerful than ever with up to a 12th-gen Intel processor, up to 16 terabytes of storage, and up to 64 gig of RAM. And lastly, in security news, a Shellbot DDoS malware variant is targeting poorly managed Linux servers. This is a reminder to always keep your servers up to date and patched.
1: The Southern California Linux Expo was back in full swing this year, and people couldn't have been happier to be back.
3: This is family for us. I mean, my kids look forward to this every year.
1: People traveled from all over the world to come and discuss and learn about Linux and open source technology.
5: We are both from Italy, based in Italy, and they flew here only for the escape.
1: Join us as we take you through the show floor and get updates from the projects you recognize, as well as introduce you to some newcomers to the Linux scene.
0: It's our best Plasma release ever, as we advertised.
6: The TuxCare folks are... Just announced a new product that they're putting together called AlmaCare, where they will support AlmaLinux for up to 16 years.
1: Companies that you might not ordinarily associate with open source are starting to make it a center of their brand.
7: People think Cisco and all of a sudden it's either hardware or network. And it's really, you know, we're we're kind of shifting the game a little bit. The reason why we create the open source is one that we want people to engage. We want people to create and iterate on that open source. So the source code's available, it's readily available on on GitHub as open source started to mature. Then then we started to see that it's important to give back to the community.
1: This is the twenty twenty-three presentation of the Southern California Linux Expo. My first stop at scale this year was the KDE Community Booth, run by Devin Lin. They had Plasma Mobile on demo, and it was so smooth and so good, I actually mistook it for an alternative Android launcher.
0: Just last week, actually, we're switching over to Plasma 6 development. So um, within a few months, hopefully we push out a fresh release of Plasma 6. New features, hopefully less bugs. Um, In general, though, Plasma 5.27 been going pretty good. Um, I would encourage you to install it. It's our best Plasma release ever, as we advertised. Uh, If you're more interested in some of our other projects, uh, I'm actually a Plasma Mobile developer, so if you have a Pine phone or some Android phone, you can try looking up certain projects like uh, post-market OS or other distros, and you can flash Plasma Mobile and try it out. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a
1: little bit about what the goals of Plasma Mobile. How did you guys get into this space, and what are you? What is your? What is your end goals? What are you trying to accomplish?
0: Yeah, so we're trying to provide an alternative ecosystem to iOS and Android. Um, it's not just us in this space. We have people, the good people over at Purism and Gnome, also all working in the Linux mobile space. Like apps for any of these distributions will work on any other. So in general, we're going to try, hopefully within a couple of years, this will be something that a lot of people can actually envision using as their daily driver. Um,
1: yeah. what, have you, what have you seen as the difference between Plasma Mobile, for example, from maybe last year uh, to this year? What things have changed? What things have gotten improved?
0: Yeah, so one of the biggest things that have happened is that we've kind of reformed the way we've done development. Uh, we have weekly meetings nowadays along developers that are pretty casual, but we keep up to tabs on our progress. Um, in the actual software, I'd say over the past year, it's gone way, way more mature. Uh, we've done a lot of deep dives into all sorts of bugs that were plaguing the original release of, um, back when we had the KD Community Edition PinePhone. That was about two years ago. Uh, so, like, at this booth, I, I've had a lot of positive... Um, feedback from people that were pretty surprised that, like, they could actually envision using this as their daily driver. Um, We still have a few more things to iron out. We're trying to still make sure that every, like, get over that final crossing line to make everything nice and polished uh, for our end users. But overall, I'd say that we're in in really good shape now. (laughs) How
1: would you describe the experience on Plasma Mobile today?
0: Yeah, so basically, you're able to run any Linux application that's compiled for ARM. Uh, which is a lot. Debian has, I mean, they support ARM like, quite heavily, so their repository is quite full of software. Uh, otherwise, we have our Plasma apps that are made with Kirigami, um, which are convergent apps that are shared between desktop and mobile. You can also run GTK apps, GTK4, Libidwida. Uh, there's a lot of mobile development work going on there now. You can run that. And also, there's a project called WayDroid that allows you to run Android applications, so that's quite interesting. Um, You can mix your Android applications with your native Linux applications, and yeah, you're able to kind of fill any app gaps that you have.
1: What would you say works really well right now on Plasma Mobile, and where do you think there's some opportunity for improvement?
0: Yeah, so I think we've gotten a lot of the basics down, calling, texting, web browsing, like we have music players, we have a clock app that actually wakes from suspend when an alarm comes in. Uh, in general, it's more about the services that we're still looking into. Like for example, well now we have a matrix client called NeoChat. Uh, we have a Mastodon client now that really came up in the past year called Tokodon. But getting KE versions of all these like service applications is kind of the next step to uh, really improving the ecosystem.
1: How about the basics of mobile? Do things like making calls, receiving text messages, that kind of stuff? What kind of experience would somebody expect on Plasma Mobile?
0: Yeah, so that's really device dependent. Like, we basically just expose, um, we use a software called Moto Manager that supports all of these different devices. Uh, so we basically just provide a layer on top of that, we expose it, we use it to do calls. As long as the Moto Manager compatibility is good on the device, uh, it should be good. So the PinePhone and PinePhone Pro are generally okay. And the OnePlus 6 has just gotten support for uh, stuff like that. But, yeah, it's going to be device dependent.
1: <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the Chromebook that you have with the detachable keyboard? How did, like, what prompted you to, to to investigate that device? And what has been your takeaway and your experience with it?
0: Yeah, so the reason why I actually have this is because Pine's or Pine64's tablet, the PineTab, has been out of stock for almost two years. Uh, so I decided I needed a tablet to actually do testing with. So I went on eBay and I bought a Chromebook Duet. It's a, yeah, it's a Lenovo Chromebook for about $100. It's actually a pretty good deal. Um, in general, I use it for testing any sorts of touch-related widescreen applications. Uh, it's been a really nice device to work with.
1: What are some of the next things that you're going to be working on? Like, What, what is the next goal of KDE or Plasma Mobile?
0: Yeah, so... Definitely, we're still looking into one by one triaging bugs, getting rid of bugs. Um, right now, we're doing the Plasma 6 transition, so that's taking up a lot of our time. But in the future, we want to do something called convergence, which allows us to basically plug in phones to like a like a secondary display and start a Plasma session, so you can plug in a mouse and keyboard and you can just do you can just use your phone as a computer.
1: Being able to see firsthand what the experience was like on Plasma Mobile with devices specifically chosen by the team was really enlightening. Basic apps like email, text, and phone worked great. And I could definitely see myself using something like this with PostMarket OS that supports full disk encryption to replace my daily phone. Next, I headed to the Alma Linux booth to chat with Benny. Cloud Linux, their parent company, was tremendously helpful at getting Alma Linux off the ground. But Alma Linux was clear. They're a community-run project, and one its gaining a lot of traction.
6: Our start really got uh, momentum because the founder of Cloud Linux, his name is Igor, he recognized the void that was going to be left by the discontinuation of CentOS Linux, the downstream version, and immediately was like, I, I have a team that already built, rebuilds Red Hat. We have the infrastructure, we have this decades-long knowledge. Let's, let's step up. And he started forming the foundation, started getting uh, the, the nonprofit foundation that owns Emma Linux together, um, started pulling in people that he thought would be good to have on the, the initial board. And uh, yeah, so the, the initial push really came from Igor. And that meant that like he, he's the boss. So he got to tag in his marketing team and all of the like, really, we would not be as successful as we are without that initial push from them. What
1: kind of support did Alma Linux receive from Cloud Linux to, to get started?
6: So everything from uh, uh, like the build system, the actual like building the operation, the oper- operating system, and the to, to marketing, and we got help from their 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 PR team. Like we just kind of got to piggyback on all of their stuff early on, and it has it has made all the difference because as a nonprofit foundation initially you don't get seed money right there's no VCS backing us so we've got uh, we've got to rely on the the help from our sponsors that we get like that
1: and now that you kind of got your you've kind of got a running start and yeah. you've definitely built a brand you're definitely serving the community yeah. how is that going and what has been the experience over the last year
6: so in the last year we've seen incredible just uh, the the adoption rates and the people that are interested in Alma has Drastically increased. Uh, in December, there was an announcement from CERN that CERN and Fermilab are going to be switching to Alma Linux, and that has expanded the, the number of scientific, scientific like communities that we're touching now. So, like, we were already kind of in web hosting. We were in schools and uh, like enterprises, and like now we're getting into science and the crazy stuff that those people do. It's so rewarding to see Alma actually actively involved in something that impacts everyone.
1: If there's somebody that's listening to this and they're saying to themselves, you know, I would love to use Alma Linux, but you know, I run a I run an enterprise or I run a commercial entity and I have some questions or I'm not sure about implementation or how this works, uh, what kind of resources are available to, for them?
6: Yeah, for sure. So there's there's two immediate answers. The first is join our chat and ask any questions you've got. We've got a super active community and a bunch of people that really care about the future of Alma Linux involved in there. And the second is you can email me. Uh, my email address is really easy to guess. It's benny at amalinux.org. I am always happy to talk to anybody that's considering it. If you are worried about like commercial support, we have commercial support partners that we can set you up with. All that kind of stuff. There's there's a, an answer for anybody that needs to needs a solution.
1: How about for the community if they have questions about where the status of Alma Linux is and how it's going? Are there any resources available to them?
6: Yeah, so things like the, the website will tell you most anything you're looking for. You can get any any of the images or the downloads that you might want, you can grab from there. Or you can, like I said, join our chat and, and anything you need, the chat is gonna be like the, the central hub for all of your questions.
1: Are you still doing the weekly community meetings? And if so, what are the details for that?
6: We haven't been for a while because really what we saw was the community meetings were a really good place to have like centralized conversations when it was really early, but the, the community meetings stopped getting attended. We didn't really see anybody coming in because they were getting their questions answered immediately wherever they were asking them, so they didn't really need to wait for the meeting. We're thinking about picking them back up as a sort of like progress update or a status update on what the SIGs are doing, but we haven't done that yet.
1: What's coming up uh, down the road for Linux? What do we have to look forward to?
6: Well, in the next uh, couple of years, obviously, we'll continue to keep pace with Red Hat and all of the fun stuff that, that's going on there. We will also... <laughs> we're we're uh, getting out to meet more people. So we'll be at uh, CloudFest in two weeks. We'll be at uh, FOSS Asia next week. We'll be at... I think we're going to one of the Texas Linux Fests. So we'll, we're around meeting all of our people. And then... Um, Beyond that, you'll see some fun stuff coming from uh, a, a sponsor perspective. We've got some new sponsors coming down that I can't talk about yet, but I'm very excited about. And uh, the TuxCare <laughs> folks are just announced a new prog- a product that they're putting together called AlmaCare, where they will support Al- Alma Linux for up to 16 years. And they're also looking at FIPS compliance and that kind of stuff. So if you really need like the 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 support that you would want to get out of Alma Claire or out of Alma that you can't get from a nonprofit foundation. They're they're the ones to go with.
1: I hadn't heard of Tuxcare before, in part because they're a relative newcomer to the scene. They're backed by the same parent company as Alma Linux, Cloud Linux. So I sat down with Aaron Harvey to learn more.
5: Cloud Linux is a commercial operating system for the web hosting world. That's where we kind of got our start from. Uh, Cloud Linux is a commercial operating system that's based off of CentOS. Um, And that's where we're already managing our own OS, we're already providing our own patches, we're already, you know, it's based off of CentOS 6, CentOS 7, CentOS 8, there's Cloud Linux 6, 7, 8, subsequently. uh, We basically provide um, a space to make sure that the OS is secure. On the TuxCare side of the business, we take those same patches and we make it enterprise grade level. So, we're trying to secure those enterprises that are dealing, that are uh, working with CentOS, working with Red Hat or Oracle or Ubuntu, and making sure that we can provide the security patches for them too.
1: And how does TuxCare work? What, who is the target audience for TuxCare and what kind of services do you offer?
5: So we do, um, we work with everybody. So it could be a mom and pop shop with one or two systems. And we work also with large enterprises, which is what's so great about it. You're going to get the same level of service with us, regardless of the size company that you actually have. So we're going to work with your Fortune you know, 50, Fortune 500, whatever. And those same guys, mom and pops that need help with Linux patching because they still want to grow to, we'll work with both of them.
1: And what kind of services do you provide? What do you do for these
5: companies? So... Our core product is the live patching. Live patching allows you to apply kernel security updates without the need to reboot at all. Um, That's our core service. We also provide extended support. So if you're running an old operating system like CentOS 6, CentOS 8, um, CentOS 7 when it reaches end of life, or Ubuntu 16.04, we do it for a lot of different Linux operating systems. We provide those security patches beyond the end of life, the 10-year cycle that normally you get with those. Then we also provide commercial support. What does the commercial support side look like? So the commercial support side is, you know, we have standard break fix, but we also offer a bespoke customization option. So people that need package updates and need help and support on that side, we can provide that type of support as well.
1: What kind of distros do you pro- provide the support for?
5: So all major Linux distros. Um, so for your Red Hats, for your Oracles, for Ubuntu, uh, Alma Linux, Rocky Linux, we do it for all of those and I'm sure this
1: is what is the cost for something like this what should somebody expect from a price point
5: so that's what's even better about it uh, it's very cost effective uh, the live patching piece you're looking at $94 per year per system that it's, it's just that it allow you to automate your full patch cycles if you know that's a, the pain point of your company the extended support service starts at about60 dollars per, per year per system um, it's also very cost effective for enterprises and mom-and-pop shops alike. The commercial side is a little bit different um, just because it depends on the level of support that you need. If you're looking for break-fix, it's going to be pretty standard. If you're looking for a little bit more bespoke and customization options, those all require additional conversations to understand full scopes.
1: I was thrilled to learn about the service and offerings that TuxCare provides. I think it's a game-changer for smaller businesses with smaller checkbooks wanting to use Linux in production. While TexCare was a new name to me, Cisco is not. I was, however, surprised to see a huge banner advocating Cisco's love for open source. It turns out they've been at it for a while. They just haven't talked about it much. Until now.
7: We have been involved with open source for a while. It's just that we never really promoted it. And really in the last, I'd say, five years, we've really been kind of doubling down really in the cloud native area. So another thing that really people don't realize is that hey, we do stuff in cloud native, we're not just network. People think Cisco, and all of a sudden it's either hardware or network. And it's really, you know, we're, we're kind of shifting the game a little bit there.
1: So for somebody who maybe isn't familiar with cloud native, what is cloud native? How would you explain that to like a fifth grader?
7: Yeah, yeah. So first of all, well, fifth grader is a little bit hard because you have to understand a lot of concepts. But basically, cloud native is a way of doing things. So it's a way of creating stuff that's reusable and and, and time and time again. And and the way that you kind of operate so that it's very similar to the way that you would operate within the cloud. So if you had a piece of code that runs well in the cloud, does that mean it has to stay in the cloud? No. So, so anything that's cloud-native means that it's designed to operate almost like the cloud would, but you can actually run it anywhere. The big part about cloud-native is typically it's going to run in a container somewhere. Usually these days that means Kubernetes. So that's, that's typically what it means today.
1: And what are some of the products that Cisco is doing that is that they're releasing as open source?
7: Yeah, so we have we have two things. One is the products, and the products are there's there's two main products. One is called Panoptica, which is a um, it's a cloud native application, uh, kind of like a protection platform. What that means is that it will tell you from your dev pipeline all the way into the container if there's any vulnerabilities, what what these. Uh, what the source of some of these packages are, things like that, that can really give you that insight into that. And then the other thing that we have that's a product is the um, is called Calisti, and what that is is a Kafka and a Istio um, kind of bus and mesh messaging platform. And all of those we build the we, the open source along the same way. And so we have all of these cloud native open source pieces like. That one is called open clarity that is that has a lot of the different kubernetes and function and and um, uh, API security mm-hmm. and then we have a Kafka operator and a login operator that are based on that callity
1: so I think sometimes people hear Cisco and they think like very very expensive right yeah. if there's the nerd that's sitting in his basement and he's listening to this and he's thinking to himself that sounds really great I would love to play with that high-end technology but I probably can't get access to the source code what would you say to him
7: I would say that that's absolutely not the case these days. you know. So if you want to play with these cloud-native technologies, the reason why we create the open source is, one, that we want people to engage. We want people to create and iterate on that open source. So the source code's available. It's readily available on, on on GitHub. If you do something, we'll do a pull request and pull it in. you know. So that could be really cool. Um, and we have all these things that they can play with. You can put it on a Raspberry Pi if you wanted to because you can compile it. As open source started to mature, then then we started to see that uh, it's important to give back to the community. It's important to, um, you know, to, to engage people. And and the thing is, is that think about how you or I would like to 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 consume something. It's a world of searching. It's a world of trust. So in order for us to consume stuff, you want to be able to try it. You want to be able to feel it. You want to search on Google and you want to say, hey, I see other people using this. There's good documentation. There's good Uh, Videos And you can really see how to use it and play with it yourself. And then if you need support, if you need something like that, then go ahead and go buy the the commercial version of it.
1: One of the things that sets Scale apart from literally every other Linux conference I attend is the unique blend of big names like Cisco with the down-to-earth community-based atmosphere. Philip Banks has been attending Scale since it started. And these days, he gives tours to local middle and high school students to introduce them to Linux and open source. For Philip... It isn't just professional networking. It's family.
3: It started out, I was part of uh, one of the SIGs, I, I UCLA, USC, and LAMP SIG. And then I, some guys were talking about scale, uh, you know, in our news group. And so I said, hey, let's, let's you know, I want to be a part of whatever you're putting together. So in the first one, I... I came, uh, we count scales by the year my daughter was born at the first scale. (laughs) So my kids, my two oldest, were monitoring the doors. They were 12 and 10. My four-year-old son, uh, he was just running around. And so we've been here ever since.
1: How did you get involved with Linux?
3: In 94, 94, a, a person came to me and just like, it would solve a problem that we were doing. And so it was a consultant he says, okay, we can make a router to do it. And I was like, you can make a router. And I was like, that sounds ridiculous. And then that guy got me so hooked on it that I was just like sold on this thing ever since then. so I've been since 94, I was in and, uh, I've, got all my kids into linux so they can't get a computer that we're not going to make boot. <laughs> and so now we're, we're at the point where we do conventions and stuff uh for scale and linux foundation and all my kids even hang with linus Torvalds now and he he's like you know so how did you get started hey my kids are using it so we all take pictures. so it's a great thing we're, we're a linux family
1: so your Linux family is now giving back in a whole new way. Your are as kids are coming in here, I'm seeing middle school kids, high school kids. Talk to me about what that, what, what does that process look like?
3: How did that come to be? And what are you doing with them? So since I learned to code at 10 and I had all my kids, all four of them learned to code start, starting, I mean, before 10 and, um, since we do it so well, I, you know, when they got older, we made a company. So then now conventions fly us out to teach kids because I, I wanted, you know, I hated computer science classes when I was young. It was it didn't relate to me. And kids find that these things don't relate to them. But meeting a lot of these programmers and you find a lot of these people like, what did you do? And a lot of them even, you know, started trying to make a video game. Or something like, And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to encourage in all these kids. And when you tell them that, the teachers now, they bring, you know, all their, their high school students and everything. Some college students come here just so I can turn them around the floor, floor and they can introduce themselves to all the vendors and stuff. So it's, it's totally fun for me as long as it's fun.
1: What kind of reactions do you get as you're taking these kids through the expo hall floor?
3: The vendors love it now. You know, so like Meta, they'll they'll come with a gang. Of, they they bring extra swag because they're like, oh, we gotta get the kids all excited for it. And so, so some of the t-shirt, you know, people with a ton of t-shirts. It was like we're saving a gang of them, so the kids will get excited, bring it, and, and different companies. They'll be like, it was a little too high level, but we came up with a different way to make it relate to to kids. So the vendors actually get really excited about the the kids tours now so we hadn't we didn't do it at the last scale we did it the one before and so they were just like where's the tours <laughs> where are the kids at <laughs> so so i guess we we really like it
1: what have been what has been the response from the kids have you seen them uh show a genuine interest in in what you're demonstrating and have you seen that kind
3: of spark start the best thing is when you see the kids come back later having done something and they're just like through their teacher or something like that. Oh, Mr. Banks, this is what I'm doing right now. And so like, uh, I, I go back to like the, the Torval story. We had a kid here who was 15 on year and he was a kernel developer. And, and I was like, working on the colonel at 15 and he's like so into it but that was his thing he found what his love was with that and so he uh he'd submitted a patch or something like that and he you know he says i got ripped apart by ninos troubles who was my idol and when we met him in prague at at another thing we were doing and we talked to him again and i told him about this kid he was like i'm so freaking sorry I, I get the kid tell him send him a message right now from me and tell him you're in front of me right now and, and it was the best story ever and so I, I, I want to do this with programmers for different projects and everything like that I, I go nuts with it yeah that that one gets us excited when I see the kids come back who are doing different things and I told them I want them to come back with talks from some of the stuff that they learned today from different uh, you know platforms and groups that are doing stuff
1: now, do you have any professional uh, expertise or or experience in education, or is it a hobby or an, and a passion for you?
3: Um, my mom was a teacher. Right? I one person, a guy told me this when I um, when I was young. He said, "You really know something well when you can teach it." And I was, and I used to always think if I can teach whatever I'm talking about to a six year old, then I really know what I'm talking about. And so that is always my goal for a kid to leave me. If he leaves me, like, huh? Or, you know, especially women in Texas, like, what are you talking about? Then I didn't do my, my job. So that's why I come with them every time. And when I'm leaving the kids, I'm high five, like, you get it? You know, and I'm, I'm getting a little feedback to how I can make that process better. So that's why, you know, I formed our company with my kids because. I do this with them. I train them on how to do different stuff. And they train me, actually. You know, anything they learn, I want to learn, too. So my second oldest, when he went into video game design, I was like, okay, we're learning that together. We're learning uh, Java. And my daughter, when she's like, okay. uh, So the different companies really, you know, uh, take a hold of this, too. Like, No Starch Press, they'll send me and my daughter, when she was younger, books. It's like, hey, we're trying out a new thing on Ruby you guys want to learn that you know O'Reilly was like hey we got some new things on this so kind of feel it out if if this is good for kids and stuff like that so
1: what have been some other experiences you had doing this you know for you know 20 in a row I mean have what are some of the other stories the takeaways that stood out to you that was like hey this is what makes it worth it for me to invest my time and my effort in this
3: family this is this is family for us I mean, my kids look forward to this every year. We get new kids that might have come once or twice to volunteer. See, I'm head of volunteers, so I, I get people to come, and then I want all these volunteers leaving and, and gaining such a good experience by meeting somebody. I'll make them introduce somebody that's their idol so that they can sit with them like, oh, man, I've, I've been working with this product, project forever. You know, that kind of feeling for me, is the best feeling. So you'll see me uh, all smiles here all the time because this is just like being around family, gaining more family, you know, and, and, and making somebody's entire lifetime.
1: What would you say to the parent or to the kid that's listening to this and they're saying to themselves, what would you say that they should come in to expect or how would you explain that?
3: I keep hearing this about people being so nice and they didn't expect that because a lot of things in tech and everything like that it you know community isn't as big a thing people aren't just so so welcoming everybody is kind of doggy dog and they're just like wow everybody just wants to help you you could yell out something and then there's three other people that want to help with that thing like oh i'm gonna teach you how what to. like even the guys here every year i get homework. you know so like last night I'm putting myself into Mastodon and all these other, uh, uh, you know, social media things. And it's just like, oh, I didn't even know these things, you know, about these things. It's like, Philip, why aren't you on it? You know, and, and new things like when Docker came out, when the Kubernetes came out, we get a gang of talks. And then some of the speakers, is just like, dude, it's this easy. Come on, sit, sit down with me. Let's, let's get started on it. And I, that's what the kids can expect because I, I, I tell them or volunteers can expect whatever it is you're into. I'm going to get you in front of somebody that's doing it.
1: <laughs> SCALE is kind of uniquely set up to accommodate kids and to provide them a good experience here. Can you talk a little bit about why or what specifically is available here for kids?
3: So there's a kid's track. My, my daughter, before there was a kid's track, we had some kids uh, doing talks. So my daughter and another young person here named Nova... They were 11 when they first did their first talk and, you know, doing it in front of a crowd of adults on a subject. And then we decided a couple years later, uh, one of our staff, uh, I believe it was Lori, said, you know what, just having a whole track for the kids would be amazing. Mm -hmm. And then we were getting um, some of the teachers bringing students here for me to take around. And so uh, we created the kids' track. And so there's a, also a kids' playground, um, which is not a regular playground. It's a tech playground of, of, of stuff that they, they're going to work on. So the kids' track, they keep coming up with great ideas on different... And we had some a quantum computing talk from a high school kid this year, some robotics talks. Um, uh, what, what else were there? There was just talks on every kind of subject this year. And it is amazing to see the kids. I usually like to go, run in there. Actually... Now some of the kids have aged out and doing real talks. So I gotta, I'm going to run to one of the talks to support one of the kids that has been doing talks since my, my daughter was a kid, too. You know, they did them together. So the, the kids, I, I usually try to get the kids to do talks until they get comfortable in front of the crowds. Then they, they get older. And, yeah, some of these kids, like I'm saying this one, is doing talks in front of adults. And then, you know... Then they're running out in the field somewhere doing it at some big company. And then they're just like, hey, it, was, it all started from a talk or something like that we did. You know, because I forced them because they were like, I don't like to talk in front of audiences. <laughs> but when you're talking about your passion, you can talk all day.
1: There was no shortage of passion this year at scale. Numerous times I found myself sitting around a table, hacking on a laptop or learning something new. The opportunity to be a fly on the wall with other people smarter than you is one that I always enjoy and I come away from feeling refreshed and renewed. I was able to meet up with a lot of old friends, and I made some new ones. Scale 2023 definitely left its mark on me, and I can't wait to see what the other conferences this year have in store. I'll see you next year at Scale 2024. So that is part one of our scale coverage. We will likely have a part two next week. Actually, what we're going to be doing is talking about immutable operating systems. So you want to make sure to join us. And if you have specific questions about immutable operating systems, join us for that. So scale happened. Um, it wasn't as a week, week ago from last weekend. Um, coming up on June 9th, 10th and 11th, it'll be the Southeast Linux Fest. And then following that, it'll be Linux Fest Northwest. That's October 20 through the 22nd. Um, and so I guess, uh, before we get out of here, Steve, uh, anything you want to tease about our upcoming discussion on a operating systems, what kind of got you started or excited about that?
2: Well, I guess part of the reason what prompted this, this, uh, discussion that we're going to have is we've, we've had some people emailing in asking us what our thoughts are. And so instead of addressing those emails, we thought we might take the chance to make a little bit longer of a, a segment, even if it's only 10 or 15 minutes to just kind of talk about. Uh, what they are and and how we kind of interact with them if we interact with them in our daily lives. So I thought we would take the time to address that in kind of a long format.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I had a chance to have you have you ever heard of vanilla OS?
2: Uh, I have. I haven't used it, though.
1: Okay, so I had a chance to sit down with the folks from Vanilla OS at Scale, uh, which is, of course, an immutable operating system. So we'll likely air that next week as we get into our immutable operating system discussion. The music in our ears means we're out of time. I appreciate you joining us. We record this up ep- this show every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. You can join us at AskNoShow.com. Participate in our interactive number room. Call us on the phone. Email us. We're very, very indiscriminate about how we take your feedback, how we take your questions, and how we take your thoughts. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at Colonel Linux. He's at Linux Ovens. The show at Ask Noah's show. We're back next Tuesday, 6 p.m. Central. Have a good week.